This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Micah Blanc, episode one, three, four. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. The most popular podcast episodes are almost always the one where I have a guest who went from a full-time job to being a full-time investor. And today is no exception. Today, I want to show Kyle Collins. And man, I'm so excited because the guy, young guy, went from zero to 112 units and quit his job all in nine months. So let's get right into the interview with Kyle Collins. Here we go. I'm really excited to have Kyle Collins on the show because he started with multifamily investing earlier in the year, quit his job in May, and closed his first deal in September 6th. Kyle, welcome very much to the show. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Guy, when you reached out to me saying, you know, you kind of quit your job within nine months of even thinking about multifamily, like, man, I got to talk to Kyle and, and learn more about his story. So I want to get into how you did that in your first deal. Just want to rewind it just a little bit more and go back to how this all came about. So you know, rewind the clock a few years here. Do you have a job at this point? What's going on in your life? Yeah, so no, I, I don't. This is what I'm doing full time now. Um, but just to rewind a little bit, coming out of school, I worked in medical device sales. I did that for about four or five years. Great uh, job. I really enjoyed it. You know, at, at a certain point, I realized that I wanted to get into the investment world and I decided to go back to business school. Um, so I just recently graduated from Emory uh, last May. And uh, yeah, so coming out of school, I, I went to work for a family business. And this is something that I had been doing for the past three or four years, raising money for the business. So I had some, I got some experience in raising capital from, from outside investors. And I realized, you know, after about a year that I wanted to do something on my own and multifamily was an asset class that I, I really fell in love with for a lot of the reasons that, you know, that most people do. And I really started educating myself and, and you know, listening to your podcast and um, I used a lot of your material and, and read a lot of books that are out there and I told myself and, you know, I, I'd heard stories of, of people that have done this before starting from, from kind of from scratch and, uh, you know, that kind of inspired me to, to, to go out and do this. Yeah, that's awesome. So again, we want to get into that here. Now, you talked about getting started in some kind of family business and raising money. How did you, it seems like you got, you put yourself in a position that exposed you to raising money and then eventually exposed you to multifamily and other asset classes. But, you know, how did you get that particular position and, and why did you start pursuing that kind of position? Well, you know, just to be frank, you know, it was from raising capital, you know, it was a family business. Um, and I recognized that I had a network of people that um, I could call on, you know, and, and make you know, introductions, set up meetings for, for people that might be interested in investing in, in this particular type of deal. And I, you know, it's something I'd never done before, but, it, you know, just I really consisted of, you know, reaching out to people, setting up breakfast, setting up lunches, having meetings and presenting deals and just having conversations if there was interest and, and you know, people would invest. If not, you know, then we'd move, move forward. Now, how did you connect with this uh, family business? How did this even come about? Because you were doing uh, medical device sales. And so you ended up, how did you end up in this totally different business? What, what steps did you take to get into that? Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was my family business. So it was that's my your family my, business. Okay. Yeah. So it's, that's, that's how it was, it was from, it was my family's business. Okay. Gotcha. So, and, and your, your, your family is uh, obviously has investments and, and you felt you could help out. Yeah, you know, it was a similar type deal. It was, you know, basically a syndicated land transaction where, you know, we're, we're bringing together a group of investors to buy a, a piece of property. 
And so, you know, I saw a lot of similarities whenever I got into this, that, you know, with the sponsored multifamily deal where, you know, basically you're bringing together a group of investors, um, you're looking for properties and you're pulling that investor capital to go out and do a deal. So there's a lot of similarities that I, I pulled from that previous experience, pulled from the, the experience of raising capital, pulled from the experience of underwriting deals, the partnership model, um, I had relationships with, you know, attorneys that, that I could leverage and, you know, they knew me, they understood the model, what I was trying to do. So you know, a lot of that kind of helped getting going. Yeah. So what were some of the challenges? So you got into this and, and, and everybody felt, hey, uh, Kyle might be, might be good at raising money. But what were your main challenges when you said, okay, my gosh, I think I can do this. But what, what were some of those main things you had to overcome? You know, it was really, it was a roller coaster along the, you know, getting, just getting this to this point, getting that first deal done. There's a lot of lulls, you know, a lot of ups and downs. I'd say, you know, some of the challenges that I can remember, um, you know, one, finding deals, uh, getting in front of brokers. One thing that I have realized though, that, you know, being in this business for, you know, the short time I have been is that, you know, I don't know if it's being in Atlanta and, or, or what it is, but I have, a, I've actually had a lot of relationships with brokers and some of the big regional firms. So that's definitely helped um, in, in, you know, just getting in front of deals and, and underwriting deals. But, you know, putting together, you know, kind of having the, the courage to go out and do it, you know, trusting in your abilities to underwrite. You know, I, one thing I'll tell people is that if you don't know something, ask. I was never afraid to ask people if I didn't understand something. Um, spend as much time as you need in educating yourself because, it, you know, at the end of the day, you're putting investors' capital, you know, at risk. So, I was very critical of, you know, what I did know, what I didn't know. And if I didn't know something or didn't feel comfortable, I was, you know, I always asked somebody. I had some great mentors along the way that, that helped me through it. So how did you go about building relationships with brokers? You talked about deal flow. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's strange. You know, I'm just exploring my network. I've got a lot of friends of friends. I had almost personal relationships to just about every regional brokerage firm in the Southeast. Um, and so that's really helped. And I've, you know, I'm not looking at deals, you know, every day um, or every other day, it feels like. So yeah, it's just leveraging personal networks. I and mean, if you really get out and explore, you know, okay, who do I know? Who's in this business? You know, who would, who wouldn't mind making an introduction? Um, that's, you know, I basically, basically reached out to people and said, Hey, I know, you know, so-and-so, would you mind introducing me to them? You know, and that's, you know, basically you dropped an email and we got lunch or go look at a deal. That's, that's kind of how it went. All right. So, so what's your advice for someone who says, who, you know, they don't really have a network? Well, how do you advise them to kind of build those relationships with someone really starting from scratch? Okay. I, you know, just as an example, you know, and this was something that something that I heard other people doing was that, you know, I got on LoopNet and I started calling the very first place I started is I got on LoopNet and I started underwriting deals off of LoopNet just as purely as practice. And at one point I said, all right, you know, I'm going to go look at a deal for the first time. You know, this is something I've never done. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to go out and call a broker, say that I'm interested and go look at a deal. And I did that. I got in the car and drove, you know, five hours to, to Clarksville, Tennessee to go look at a deal. Met the broker, you know, it's kind of one of those deals where, you know, I don't think she knew my background, knew that I maybe not be as experienced. I didn't really tell her that, you know, that's not, you know, I didn't, didn't mislead in any way, but. I was interested. I did have the, the capital ready to do a deal. Um, and it, it just so happened that, you know, she introduced me to an off-market deal later on. And that was the deal that, that I did. You know, now I'm, I'm more plugged in with a lot of the, the bigger brokerage firms. But just getting started, that's how I found my first deal. Now, you're a bit on the younger side, right? So uh, there's a, some, a lot of young listeners here. And uh, one of their main challenges is how, how, how can I be taken seriously? How, do you, how did you overcome that? Or how can people overcome that who feel like they're ever too young, they don't have the experience, and their main concern is how will a broker take me seriously? How did you do it? 
I think um, the first thing that you have to do is you have to educate yourself. You've got to be, you know, before you go out and start looking up leads, you've got to be very comfortable in your in the, the multifamily skill set. I'll call it. Um, you've got to understand how to underwrite. You've, you should have already underwritten, you know, at least fifty deals. You know, read a, you know ton of OMS. Just because, you know, there's a certain language you have to speak that you need to know how to interact with a broker, what you should look, you know, when you get on a property and you're walking with a broker, you know, they're, they're kind of reading, you know, what questions are you asking? What are you looking for? You know, if you're asking good questions, you know, I think they're going to take you more seriously. If, you know, if you're just looking around and, you know, saying the property looks nice, you know, I, I don't think really anyone's going to take you seriously. So education, you know, that's either... You know, one, it's got to be underwriting deals. You have to have underwritten deals. And, you know, I love your syndicated deal analyzer. It's a great tool for me. And I look at it, spend hundreds of hours looking at that, that model. It's a model I use today. But, you know, underwriting really helps, you know, and, and realizing that at, at some point you're looking at a spreadsheet, you know, and then when you get on, on site, these, you know, you're basically investing in a physical asset. You're not investing in a spreadsheet. You know, just doing this deal has really helped me understand that, that, you know, you can make certain projections or certain assumptions you got to get on site and realize, okay, is that realistic? You know, can I make those rent increases? You know, what am I actually going to do to each unit? What's that going to cost, you know, on a granular level? And how much is the flooring going to cost if I'm going to pull out the flooring? You know, if I'm going to paint cabinets, are there other comps in the market that are painting cabinets? Does that make any sense to do? So you can look at a spreadsheet all day. You've got to get out and look at properties and underwrite deals from a, a specific standpoint. Yeah, so what you're telling is get, get your education so you don't sound like a newbie. Underwrite a lot of deals, and we have a great tool for that, the Syndicated Deal Analyzer. Uh, but the other thing you did also is you actually hopped on a plane, and you met with a broker or several brokers. And I think and just in looking at, at getting feedback from brokers and kind of doing a, a debrief on, on how a first deal came together, whenever someone like this or drives five hours to, to see that, you all of a sudden set yourself apart from everybody else they're dealing with, right? And all of a sudden now they classify you as a more serious person. And right. that clearly has helped in, in your in your case as well. You also talked about your analysis is one thing, but then the assumptions behind it are another thing entirely, right? And you mentioned some of them. How important is, is that? And you know, when you look at a deal and you start asking questions about, about a deal and the analysis looks great, what are some of the questions you ask about the, the assumptions behind the analysis? So most, you know, I think most people maybe listen to this podcast are looking at, you know, the value add type deals. So, I mean, obviously the, the biggest, you know, when you're looking at a value add deal, generally you're going to renovate a unit. Okay. You've got to decide what, you know, what renovations do I want to do? And if I do do those renovations, am, is it realistic that I'm going to get the rent bomb? Okay. So if you're, if, you know, if you're going to say, you're going to assume that, you know, in year two or year three or, you know, wherever your, your projections are, that you're going to hit a certain rent level you need to be really sure that you can actually get that by doing the certain renovations. Is there a reason why, why the rents on this property are, are lower than the rest of the market? Or is it just that, you know, the property is unnamed or, you know, it's, it's really the management company is doing a really bad job. Um, if that's the reason, you know, that's a realistic assumption. Okay. I can come in and renovate, redo the landscaping, put in new flooring in each unit. And I'm going to get a, a rent pop. So I would say, you know, make sure that, you understand what you have to do to achieve the operational goal of the property and make sure that's realistic and, and talk to the broker, ask those questions, you know, say, Hey, can I get this um, rent increase by doing this? Okay. And if so, then show me an example of where someone else has done that in the market. Okay. And then you go and look specifically, you know, go look on apartments.com. You can see every unit that, you know, that you're potentially going to be compared against. So yeah, I would say, 
point out what those assumptions are and try to justify every single one of them. Yeah, you talk about uh, getting some information from the broker. You could argue that the broker is, is not going to be quite as objective. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this is why we always talk about having a proper manager, you know, kind of with yeah. you when it gets really serious. What role does a proper manager uh, play one. during the actual acquisition or even offer making process? That's a great point because this deal that I did, I, I really love the property management group that I'm using. Um, and they were really kind of there at, from an early point in the negotiations of the deal and the underwriting of the deal. And a lot of times where you can, you know, you're not always going to get the most objective, like you said, you're not going to get the most objective opinion from the broker. You have to realize that I've got to justify the, what, what I'm hearing and what I'm reading in the OM. You know, the OM is not always 100%. You know, it's, it's, it's a rosy picture of what it should be. You need to understand that. But the property manager will give you a you know, more sober view of, of what, you know, what's realistic from a, you know, a cost standpoint. Okay, so early on, I had, I had you know, the costs are underwritten on this deal. You know, probably fifty thousand dollars annually lower than what the property manager said she felt like she could do realistically. And, you know, and th- those those cost projections were what the the broker was telling me that they would it would run for. And you know, just getting into the deal, you know, it's the property manager was right in that. So just being your first doing your first deal, you need to have a great property manager company. You need to have someone that you feel completely comfortable with, and someone that's not you know you're not afraid to say, hey, what do you think on this? You know, what do you think I should do in this situation? And, and they're, they're okay giving those answers. Um, that's been a big part, you know, a big, uh, big help to me in this process for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, they, they play a key role. Oh, yeah. um, let's, let's talk more about the money raising thing. You've been doing this for, for a lot for your own family business and obviously for this one here. By the time you, you did this 112 unit, you were already positioned fairly well in the money raising. But before you got into the money raising thing, uh, how did you get started with that? I mean, how did you know what to do? And now you got to be comfortable with, with cold calling people or warm calling people. What was your rhythm of getting people comfortable? So how did you even start raising money? I would say there's no, you're never, if you're getting started in, in raising capital, there's no, it's, it's not going to be comfortable to start with. I would just kind of just, just get that out there. It's going to, you're going to be uncomfortable. But I think, you know, being uncomfortable in situations is, you know, how you progress and how you improve. Um, and so basically, you know, you should want to go out and have conversation. You know, you gotta, you can't be afraid to go ask someone to, you know, go to lunch with me and, you know, go to lunch or go to breakfast or go get a cup of coffee or, you know, have a conference call. Um, and you, you can't be afraid to ask. Okay? Basically explain what you're doing. And then if there's a, if there's a need and there's a need, you don't want to ever be pushy in, in what you're doing. Um, you want to introduce investments or ideas that people might be generally interested in. You know, this is something that, you know, I personally, you know, want to invest in multifamily investments. So that's why I felt comfortable going out, you know, to other people and say, Hey, this is what I'm putting a lot of my own money in this deal. Uh, my family's money in this deal, you know, because I believe in the asset class. I believe in what I'm doing, you know, and that having, you know, say that and be able to do that. I think, um, you know, people like to see, you know, the GP putting in, a good amount of capital, enough skin in the game where it says, okay, you know, I'm in this deal too. So it's not, I'm not just asking for your money. I, you know, this is something that I want to do. That's what I believe in. And any deal that I do moving forward, I'm going to be, I'm going to have a significant chunk of the equity. How important is it for you to be excited about a particular deal? Because sometimes, you know, deals are, ah, they're okay. You know, they look good on paper and other deals you're like, man, this is an awesome deal. Like how important is it for you to get really excited about a deal? I think it is important. I think um, if you're doing a good job, yeah, I think you should be skeptical of every deal that you want to do. I think that's just your first, the lens you should look through, a, a skeptical lens. 
because um, you shouldn't go into you know looking at underwriting deals thinking oh every deal is going to be great because they're you know not all are. But when you're talking to someone, you know you've got to get to a certain point where you do feel comfortable with the deal because at the end of the day, that person that's listening to you that you know you're pitching to, you know they've got to feel that you're confident in the deal. The way I like to be confident is that the first decision I have to make are do I personally want to invest in this deal, and if I can firmly come to that that conclusion, then I'm fine talking to someone else and, and explaining, hey, this is what I feel. I feel like this is a great deal. I'm invested in it, and this is why. I under, I'm a conservative underwriter. I like to underwrite everything conservatively. You know, in this deal, the first deal that I'm doing, we renovated, we renovated the first, all the down units that, you know, we just took it over a month ago. We've already already hit year two rent assumptions, you know, in the, in awesome. the units we're getting. And that's how I'm going to underwrite any deal. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a big believer of under-promising, over-delivering. In the beginning, and I remember I was like this when I when I first got started, and I see it repeatedly with uh, with new people. There's this there's this uh, this huge desire to do your first deal because I talk about it in my book, and and I'm all about the first deal. So really pushing people to do their first deal. But at the same time, it's at some it's sometimes at odds with actual conservative underwriting, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. exactly at odds. Clearly, if you if you're ultra conservative, you never do a deal. So that's right. not not good, right? If you're if you have happy ears on, you relax your underwriting, you're gonna do everything under the sun. How do you reconcile your you know desire to do a, a deal with actual prudence? Um, you know, I think that's a good point. I think one way to alleviate that is is invest in your own deal. I think if if you're investing in your deal, you know, you're not gonna be. I'd say be realistic. You know, it's good to be conservative, but be realistic in what you think is possible. It, it helps if you're first getting started in this business. Leverage your property manager. Make sure that you know she looked at your model. You know we you know, we looked at our model together multiple times and said, "Hey, you know, tell me where, what I'm missing here, or what's right, what looks right to you." You know, and, and you know what I put together what I thought was a very realistic five year pro forma. And and doing that, you know, that's the best you can do. You know, no one knows where we're going to be in five years. No one knew, you know, five years ago where we'd be today. Um, so you can't assume that you're going to know where you're going to be. I think if you're realistic and you know err on the conservative side. You're going to do a good job in your underwriting. Let's talk about this uh, 112 unit a little bit. Why did you like yeah. this deal? What was the opportunity here? Yeah. So, all right. So the the deal was, you know, the first deal that I went to go see, you know, it was on LoopNet. Not the first deal I wanted to go see, but this this deal I wanted to go see was listed on LoopNet. Um, it was already under contract with the broker. I got to the property. You know, the, there was a property next door, and the broker said, "Hey, you know." This deal is off market. I think the owner wants to sell it. You know, do you want me to go ask? And I said, sure. You know, I'd love to um, because the property you know, I came to see was under contract. So that was the 112 unit that was off market. Property, you know, had a great aesthetic feel. Um, had like an old weather brick. It was built in 2006. It was unnamed. The average effective rent was $150 below the market, including the property next door. Hmm. The landscaping was terrible. It had no sign. There's no sign up front. You go on apartments.com, you go on any listing site, you couldn't find the property. What I found out later is that um, they were using realtors to uh, refer people that couldn't afford a house to go you know, to rent. And to me, you know, that just screamed, okay, a lot of potential here. All right? I, can, I can put a sign out front. I can name the property. I can get it out. I can get it marketed. I can improve the aesthetics, the outside aesthetics by landscaping. Um, we're going to spend about 2,500 to 3,000 door renovations. We've already started that. We've already hit year two rent assumptions. So, you know, what I would say is go look for a property that's unloved. You know, my, my thesis, what I'm going for is I want, I want to find a property where the management company is not doing a good job. 
the ownership is, you know, just completely removed or just, you know, they're leeching off the deal. They're just pulling money out of the deal. They're not putting anything into it. You know, those are the properties where you can come in realistically to make changes, improve the properties. You find a property you can improve and there's a, a rent gap you can close. Those are the types of deals I want to do. You know, if it makes sense, you know, from underwrite from underwriting standpoint and they feel unloved and they feel like there's unlocked potential, that's the kind of deals I want to do. Yeah, that's awesome that you're already getting uh, to your to your income, and and it's clear to me that your property manager is key to this. And we've had experience with uh, both mediocre property managers and really really good ones. And your quality of life as an owner is substantially different from one one to another. And right. even though you're probably doing a lot of renovation, I mean, how how involved are you in the management of that? Uh, and how much is your property manager doing? And how much are you doing? Yeah, you know, they're doing, they're handling everything. Yeah. You know, I kind of, I describe it to people is that I'm basically kind of, kind of coaching the property management company, even though, you know, they're way more experienced and I love, and I tell them that and I leverage their experience that, Hey, you know, in certain things, I look, I trust your opinion on this. You know, if, if you want to do this type of finish, I trust your opinion. You know, you've done this before, you know, we're at that point where I trust um, their, you know, their judgment and what they do. But, you know, I cannot stress, you know, the importance enough of, finding a great property management company, having a good relationship with that property management company where you can talk to them. Um, they're honest with you. They're not giving you, they're giving you realistic expectations. You know, like I said, they're handling all of the, all of the renovations. They, they really, it's kind of been a hands-off experience, you know, to me, but I've, you know, I've been up there multiple times and I'm just kind of, you know, guiding the process. You know, we have calls and they give me updates, but they're kind of running the show at this point. That is ideal. And, and again, we've been through mediocre property managers and it takes an enormous amount of time. And every time it does, you're like, hmm, maybe I have the wrong property manager. And uh, on the other hand, you have some like yours and we have some as well. We're like, my gosh, I do my 30 minute call if that and they're just crushing it. They're, they're just filling it up. Yeah. They're getting the rents. They're turning over the units. And it really is such a function of, of the property manager. And so we found that you got to stay on top of your property manager and then don't be afraid to make a change uh, when, when you have to. Right. So what's uh, yeah. what's next for you? We've got the 112 units right now. It looks like things are yeah. starting to stabilize a little bit. And you know, what's yeah. next for you? Uh, next is, so I have a goal to do another deal before the end of the year. Okay. I'm, it's maybe a stretch goal. So we'll see if I can get make that happen. We're kind of getting getting there now. But yeah, you know, I'm talking to people every day. I'm so I met with a guy uh, recently, an institutional real estate manager, and you know he gave me a great piece of advice. Um, and it was basically, you know, kind of knew my background, knew exactly, you know, where I was. He said, All right, every at the end of every week, you've got to look back on the week and be realistic and say, okay, you've got three buckets where you need to be spending your time. You need to be spending your time, you know, a third meeting with people, raising capital, prospecting on potential investors. Uh, one third prospecting for deals, going out and touring deals, underwriting deals. And then the last third is running the operations of your current portfolio. And that was a great piece of advice. And, and that's kind of how I've been trying to structure my weeks is that every day I got to look like, all right, did I spend some time, you know, setting up meetings for, for potential investors? Did I set up, you know, deal tours or, or did I spend some time underwriting a deal? You know, and lastly, did I spend some time, you know, talking to my property manager or um, going through, you know, the accounting of, of, the, of the deal that I have currently? So yeah, so that's that's kind of how I'm spending my time. I want to just build this business out. I want to continue to do great deals, um, bring in more investors that want to be invested in multifamily. So yeah, right now, you know, next year, uh, either by the end of 2019 or, or 2020, I want to have a thousand units under under control or under management. So that's kind of the goal that I've, I've set. Um, I'm going to try to hit it. That's awesome. 
I love it. Yeah. Now, you, you, you kind of referenced the kind of rhythm of what you're doing each and every week. I think sometimes people have a bit unrealistic expectations of what it takes uh, both to get a deal done and to raise money. You know, they're like, man, I made a, I made a, a handful of offers and no one accepted my offer. So obviously this thing isn't working or it's not working for me. Can you provide some more color around kind of the volume of deals you're looking at and, the, and how many investors you have to talk to before someone actually invests with you? Just so people get an idea of level of effort. Yeah. So I'll start with the number of deals you look at. I think you need to look at deals every day. Um, you need to figure out a way to get on mailing lists for brokers. You know, if you have to start with LoopNet, start a LoopNet. You know, go out and meet people, meet brokers. Um, try to you get a network to meet brokers. I mean, that's you've got to go out. You know, sometimes I'll just go tour a deal just to meet the broker. Um, you know, and establish hey, say hey, this is what I'm looking for. And you know, two or three times now, the guy said, hey, you know, this deal isn't for you, but I've got a deal. You know, that's off market that I'll show you. So you've got to get out and you got to meet brokers. You got to go look at deals in person. So I spent a lot of time doing that, but also, you know, underwriting deals, you know, and just on your computer, you got to understand, you know, what you're looking for so you can have realistic and, and intelligent conversations with the brokers. I spent a lot of time doing that, you know, early on, but from a fundraising side, put together marketing materials, put together a, a, a pitch book, um, put together a, a deal package. You know, you've got some co great content on that. Something that I've been, you know, just completed, you know, a week or two ago. And start setting up meetings and just tell, make sure everyone in the in your universe knows what you're doing. So you know if you're you know you want high net worth guys investing in your deals, you need to make sure that everyone around you knows what you're doing. And so it's being talked about, you know, and and people will put you in contact with the right people. But very much a networking game early on. So don't you know? I spend a lot of your time trying to network both with brokers, investors, you know, property management groups, you know, all, you know the whole deal. So obviously you're not afraid to work, right? You have a pretty pretty good, great work ethic, uh, but you're working hard before when you're doing your medical devices, and you're working hard now. What's the difference to you, though? To me, this has been a, a great experience, and you know, I'm having a great time. To, it's, it's entrepreneurial, you know. To me, it's you kind of eat what you kill right now, so it's fun. You know, I wake up every day trying to build a business. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. I want to build a business that you know I'm sure it'll morph over time. But getting started, it takes a lot of work. You know, you got to kind of have belief in yourself. Um, there's definitely highs and lows. I would tell it to anybody, you know, there's definitely days that are better than others, especially, you know, if you're getting close to doing a deal. I mean, you know, there were several points in the, in the process where we were very far along, money was hard and I didn't know if the deal was going to close. You know, those were, those mm. were tumultuous weeks, but it got done. I would say, you know, another piece of advice I'd, I'd give is every day, if you're trying to get into this business or you're trying to get started, Try to just put one foot in front of the other, you know, every day. Try to make something, do something that day that's going to progress your your business or your progress. So, you know, if that's reading a book, you know, read a book every day. Or if you want to call, call two brokers a week uh, or, you know, go out and look at two deals a week or set up two investor meetings a week. Just do something every day that's furthering your, your costs, you know, because, you know, early on it's, it takes a lot, you know, you got to get a lot, there's a lot of moving pieces, um, a lot of balls in the air, and you just got to gotta stay on it. So I love this. I love this. It's great advice, Kyle. I love it. Hey, how, how can people uh, connect with you if they want to? Yeah, um, it's basically send me an email. Um, we can set up a call if, if that if that would work. Um, my email is uh, kcollins at beachwoodholdings.com. Uh, that's, that's Beachwood Holdings, the name of my company. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me and, and I'm, I'm happy to get on a call. You know, I've I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. I've called, you know, some of your, your guests and they've been very helpful. So I'm happy to do the same. 
Uh, that's fantastic. And we'll put uh, put your email uh, in, in the show notes as well. So this has been great, Kyle. Congratulations again. I can't believe like it took you nine months to like do this first deal, quit your job. And uh, now you're full time. And what a what a great story. So thanks for coming on our show and and, sh- and sharing your experience. Well, thanks for all that you do. And like I said, you know, you're this, the SD, the syndicated deal analyzer has been an incredible tool. The information you put out has been great. So yeah, thanks to you as well. Oh, man. Was that good or what? I just love Kyle. He's just constantly taking action. And I really appreciate him giving some color on, on how much work he's doing, right? So you feel like he was born with a silver spoon, but, but not so much. He's really working hard. And it just keeps getting easier and easier and easier. But you got to get started somewhere. So, you know, go out there and analyze deals. You know, there's normally a ratio between number of deals and contracts. So we tell our students, you know, analyze 100 deals. You'll maybe submit 10 LOIs, two under contract and one close. Right now, it's going to be less and sometimes sometimes more, but just to give you an idea of order of magnitude and similar on the investor side as well. So I really like how you described the three buckets, right? Raising money, setting meetings, analyzing deals, and then managing your assets. It's a great way to kind of uh, split up your time. And if you don't have a deal yet, you're going to spend that third time building your team, right? So property managers, we talked about that, is really, really key. So anyway, so I hope you guys got value out of that. We had a great event just a short while ago. Uh, it was called Dealmaker Live, and man, it was it awesome. Uh, we, it was all about live deals, people presenting deals they've done, kind of like here. We really kind of went deep. We lot lots of great networking. And one of the things that was clear about that is, number one, networking is so important. And as people saw other people describe their deals, light bulbs went off, their confidence went up. So you know, you really like need three things in place, right? And we talked about that today with Kyle. So you need a steady flow of potential projects. You need to have access to funds and you need a solid team in place to get things done. So, you know, if you're frustrated because you haven't done your first apartment deal, it's probably because you're missing one or more of these elements. So if that's, if that's the case, I think we can help. We can help you. I want you to really seriously check out our coaching program. It's at the michaelblank.com forward slash coaching and schedule a free strategy session right now because we really think you can accelerate your process significantly. So many students have now done deals. They're presented, many of them presented at Dealmaker Live as well. We feel like we can accelerate the process. We've done it so many times now. We kind of have a blueprint for it. And a lot of it is in the in the book, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing, that's now on Amazon as well. We just really kind of figured out, accelerate your timeline and eliminate some of the risk and you know and, and some of the big mistakes. So if that's something that you can afford, you really think it's going to help you, go check out themichaelblank.com forward slash coaching and sign up for a free strategy session. We'd love to chat with you as well. So anyway, hope you enjoyed that episode today. Leave me a review on iTunes. Love seeing those as well. And I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.